Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's episode is with Tanise Paul, who is the president and CEO of Energy BBDO in Chicago. And she's been running that office for many years to um, great success. And I think she has some really wonderful anecdotes to share and uh, just a very inspiring story. So let me introduce Tanise Paul. So this is um, for those who are uh, new to the agency or haven't been to a fireside chat before. We've been doing this series of fireside chats where we bring in people to speak, and it actually started with people from outside the agency world who had interesting things to share about their lives in other worlds and how it might apply to advertising. Um, But then this year with the whole discussion about um, women in advertising, which has obviously been such a hot topic for the past year or so, it got me to thinking that on a very personal level, it struck me as interesting that when I think about the people who lead BBDO, we have an incredible number of amazing women who are CEOs and presidents of offices. And Tanise is one of the very first ones who comes to mind because she has been leading BBDO in Chicago, which is now called Energy BBDO, but even before it was called Energy, um, she's the president and CEO for nearly 20 years of BBDO Chicago. So when you think about you know, this hot topic, like here's BBDO Worldwide with Tanise leading in Chicago, with Scylla leading in London, with, um, with Ella, who we met last time, leading in Russia. These amazing women. So I just think it's a great opportunity for us to have Tanise. Thank you for joining us and a great opportunity to kind of hear just about your, your journey along the way, things you've learned the hard way, the easy way, and, um, and share with everybody kind of what you've done. So let me introduce a little bit more formally the fact that um, Tanise is, uh, the, the, the clients that she partners with in Chicago are Bayer, Pepsi, um, SC Johnson, Luxottica, and Mars Wrigley. And um, I think one of the things that's really amazing that we'll dig into a little bit is how she's reinvented the company. If you think about where advertising was 20 years ago and where it is today, how she's reinvented energy to be where it is today as an amazing icon of award-winning great creative work including um, obviously we were very much both a part of the shared 2015 agency of the year for ad week um, for us agency of the year but the film that they did for extra was one of the most iconic pieces of creative of the past five years uh, if not more and i still to this day show it in meetings and stuff and it always you know leaves people crumbled in tears Um, and Tanise is also a really uh, amazing community leader with directors on board. She's a director on the boards of Executive Club of Chicago, the Four A's, the Off the Street Club, and UNICEF. So, welcome, Tanise. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We can give her a round of applause. Yay. 
So Tanise, if we could, I would just love to start kind of at the beginning. How did you get into advertising? What was it that drew you to the industry? And you know, where did it all start for you? Honestly, I had to pick a major, <laughs> and uh, I was I was changing schools after uh, going to a small liberal arts school. I was going to the Big U, and literally they wouldn't let me in unless I declared. So I found my way to communication because of the just the creativity of it all, and you know, and also the psychology of it. But then I started my career at Leo Burnett. I've I've only worked at two agencies, Leo Burnett, which. There, I really learned the importance of being a, a business partner to our clients and making sure the work we did worked. But then at BBDO, of course, we all know it's it's um, the work, the work, the work. And I think I've just never I've just never seen an agency that has a crisper or more powerful focus than ours. And um so there's just, I've never been motivated to, to look outside this agency. I love it. So that's it. Very simple. That's great. And um, when you say the importance of being a business partner, tell us more about that. How do you, if that's something you learned at the beginning, how does that now manifest itself in the way you partner with clients? Well, I think we're, we're very outcome oriented and that's the way we approach our client our client relationship. So I do think back then, of course, we had more resources to put against our clients' businesses. And it was my job as a, as a, as a pup, both in, in terms of being an analyst before I was an account person, but to know our client's business and to make sure everything we were doing would, would in fact drive their business. And I think I really, even though we've had some clients come through here, not many, but we've had some come through here in more recent years where it's highly transactional. You know, they just want you to do that thing for them. I think this organization does better when we're still that sort of seamless partner where we have the business outcome and the brand, building the brand is a means to building the business. And when we do that together, we get to amazing work that does amazing things for the business. And I, I really do think that was um, cultivated in my early DNA by my experience over there. Yeah, I love what you said about being outcome oriented. And the, I think one of the things that's been a dynamic in the industry in the past 10 or 15 years is, as you described it, a transactional sort of uh, partnership where I need an object created and I want to pay you X for that thing, for the video, for the website, whatever it might be. Um, so I'm curious how you, how you feel about like where the you know as now the industry is is matured to kind of another level the agencies that were chasing that kind of work versus our model at BBDO um, you know do you feel like the clients are now kind of coming full circle back to brand agencies like BBDO? Yes, I do. I mean, I think we because we didn't we never shifted our focus we never just made whatever they asked us to make if it was the wrong thing to make I think we are in a better position I do think you know the bottom feeders are going to be there for a while but in the end I mean I've seen with our our clients that there are a lot of them flying in and flying out because anybody could make a thing that a client asked them to to make I often call those you know random acts of marketing Right. You can, anybody can do that. The question is whether that thing is going to have impact for you. And I, I think our clients 
you know, we definitely are, are in a, a time and a place where they cannot afford to not have the work work. So I do think we're, we're well positioned because of that. Right. Great. Um, well, let's, let's um, go back to, to some of the things that you learned kind of as you got into the, to the industry. What do you think are the, the most critical traits that someone needs to, to succeed in advertising? Um, well, I don't know, this may be my BBDO bias, but I do think you have to have a passion for creativity and believe in the power of creativity. I, I, I have met many of folks over time who really could have worked anywhere. I don't think those people have a place in our, our industry anymore. I think you, um, I think you have to love people. Our people are people, our clients are people, and the people we're serving through our brands are people. I mean, if you don't love people, you gotta find something else to do. And then the other thing, I think you have to relish change, or maybe I'd say relish being an agent of change. Because today, it's not enough to be comfortable adapting. You have to be leading change. You need to be driving innovation, and that needs to sort of you know, make your heart palpitate and race. Um, if it doesn't, you're just going to be very uncomfortable in this wonderful place called advertising. So those are the three things I think you just, um, if you have those things, you'll love it here, right? That's great. So the three things are you have to love creativity, you have to love people, and you have to want to be an agent of change. So, um, Tanise, when you look back now, what are the kind of key decisions you think about that in hindsight you think these are the things that really made my, my career as successful as it is? You know, what were the, the sort of conscious choices that were important that now when you look back you think, wow, I, I didn't know at the time how important that was? Well, I haven't made that many big shifts in ter terms of where where I'm working, but I will say the first one was pretty profound. I was, uh, you know, three or four years in at Leo Burnett, and I, I left the agency, and at the time, people, I mean, really, I got very bad feedback from <laughs> people who were senior to me, they were like, literally, are you crazy? What are you doing? I came here to work on a new product, you know? I mean, it was like, you don't leave an agency to go work on a new product, but but I didn't feel at home. Here's the, I think the thing I would say, I did not feel at home in that agency. And I didn't feel at home because at that time you had to be sort of a type. And this place was a little bit of the island of misfit toys, but you were allowed to, as long as you were effective, you could do it any way that worked for you. And that brought me here. And I think this place is still like that, you know, where it's like, there's no type. We obviously now today we, we're, we're all driving diversity, but I think it was that way even back then. It was really sort of an odd place when I got here. And I will say I did contemplate a few years later leaving and maybe that was a good choice which was um not to leave because i was like i was leading the wrigley business and i just felt like i needed oxygen i just felt like i was in this tight little box and i was advised that i really should play it out and i think what i learned there was they the agency had a real need and i trusted them to sort of fulfill my need 
And I just played it out a little further. And obviously here I, here I sit, but it really did work out in my, it, right after that, it sort of all broke open and my learning curve activated again. But I just had this moment where I was just like, I can't breathe. I need to expand my horizons. And they said, wait, you will. And then really helped me do that. So, um, those two things were very significant, coming here and then staying here. And then I think the, the last thing, I, I really hadn't thought of this till you asked the question, but I think I've had a little bit of a Popeye attitude, which is sort of, I am who I am. You know, it's like I, I did get advice early on in my career about how to comport myself and, you know, how to not talk with my hands and um, how to not be so animated. And I just was like, you know what? <laughs> I, sorry. And I think I, I think that has allowed me to connect better with people, you know, just like, Hey, if you don't like it, then, then, you know, this isn't meant to be, but it'll work out. It'll, you know, just see it through and maybe you will like it. So I love it. In case anyone was wondering how they came up with the name energy, <laughs> all you have to do is meet Tunis and you know. Um, so one of the things I wanted to just go back on for a second, Tunis, that I think is really important for, especially for the young folks in the, in the group, um, to understand how important it is to be indispensable to your clients. And so what, what a lot of folks probably don't know is that energy before that BBDO Chicago actually began a long time ago as the agency exclusively for Wrigley. That was sort of the history of the agency. And then it became a proper agency, but it started as an in-house agency for Wrigley. Um, and then for many years, it was the biggest account at Beauty of Chicago. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that, the importance of Wrigley to your office and kind of you know, what it's meant to you over the years personally. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So as Jim said, the BBDO bought the agency. It was, by the way, have any of you used Pam cooking spray? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to draw backwards. P-A-M, product of Arthur Meyerhoff. The, the agency that BBDO bought was the Arthur Meyerhoff agency. The guy was an entrepreneur inventor. And he had, he... He'd found Wrigley. He, he took up his shop in the same building, which was the Wrigley building. And so the relationship goes back to the 1930s. So it was um, the cornerstone stone business. And when BBDO acquired the agency, the agency was declining. So the first thing that had to happen is BBDO had to take each one of the brands and figure out how to reposition them and, and get them growing again. So when we started, when BBDO started, I was not here. I was in high school, I would just like to say. <laughs> um, when, when they started, they Wrigley was at about a, a, a 30 share and it had been the category leader and it was like going down fast. So... Um, you know, the agency, BBDO's job was to turn the business around. So anyway, it did that. And um, I will say that one of my, I said I came to, to BBDO to work on a new product. To your question about how important the new product I came to work on, Project Alpha, was Extra. So I launched Extra. And then, um, so it is a real pride point for the whole organization that we've been able to grow, yet we still have that relationship. And it's still as, as healthy, and I would say as precious, 
as it as it was probably when Arthur was still walking the halls here. You know, it's um, we they have a long memory and we have a long memory. And they also thank God um, we've had a lot of our clients be acquired and it's not always good. But the fact that Wrigley was acquired by Mars and Mars, as you guys know so well, has this wonderful spirit of mutuality and that principle of mutuality. So I feel like they are they are still the model client in my mind. But oh, I hope my door's closed. <laughs> there are clients out there <laughs> and they're not all Wrigley. But those guys, I think I think they really do de- live that kind of partnership that makes us be our best selves. So all these years later, we're so proud of it. That's great. That's great. Um, okay, so uh, shifting topics for a second to um, uh, when I mentioned the boards that Tanise is on, she's also on the worldwide board of directors for BBDO. And Tanise, I'm curious, I really would love to get your take on this topic of female leadership at a time when it's it's so important that you know, we, we recognize great leaders in our business. And when you look around that board, what do you see from your viewpoint? Because how many years have you been on the global board of directors? I don't know how many years I've been married. I'm so bad. (laughs) (laughs) But it's gotta be, it's gotta be more than 10. Oh yes, 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 yes. It's more like, it's probably, um, it's actually probably more than, than 15 at this point. Yeah. And, um, so first of all, when I look around the room now, I I feel more at home because they're, you know, when I, I started, I literally was the first female CEO. There was a financial woman in Europe, the European financial head was on the board. And honest to God, I'll never forget this, ladies. When I first got on the board, to her credit, I guess it's a little bit to her credit that she was honest. She goes, I'm sort of really sad you're here because I really liked being the only girl. (laughs) I was like, part of me felt bad, but the other part of me was like, well, that's an honest reaction, you know. But then, uh, then for a while, it was just me. But it should have never just been me because you have Scylla and you have Valerie and and um, and Ella. And so it's a very it's a very uh, well, much more diverse and much more balanced than it than it was. So that's great. And do you think do you think, Tunis, that there's um, there's, you know, with when you think about sort of this topic in advertising, how much of it is. I guess specific to the industry versus business more broadly. The issue of female leadership. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I think it's, obviously our industry has struggled in the creative realm. Yeah. But compared to other industries, I think we're, we're much more advanced. We, we, I think women got there faster in our, our industry. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've been watching it a long time. So, uh, I, I do think in the areas of strategic planning and account leadership and even agency leadership, I think we're, we're better. I, I'm part of an organization that does a research study every year with, uh, Deloitte and they've tracked women, boards of directors and women in leadership in corporate America. 
And, you know, at the beginning, when they first started doing the research, we were all like, oh, we, were, we had this expectation we we're going to see it going up in, in leaps and bounds year after year. And it's stunning. It is stunning how slow it has been to move the right amount of women into senior board roles and senior leadership roles across um, corporate America. You know, I mean, look what just happened um, oh, in Estonia. By the way, Jim knows my husband's Estonian. Estonia elected a 46-year-old woman this week to be the president of the country. How's that? Can you imagine? So I may move to Estonia. <laughs> is it, um, so speaking of Estonia, this is interesting. Is it is it true that there was a small section of your office that is actually part of Estonia? <laughs> no. oh, you're going to laugh so hard when I tell you this. So my my husband, the answer is no, not here. It's actually a part of DDB. <laughs> my uh, mm. yeah yeah. I I I sent my own husband off to DDB. No. The truth is, um, I actually thought you were going to say something else because Andrew always teases me because the Estonians, no lie, they do a wife carrying competition. <laughs> they throw their wife. wives. So they elected a female president, but they throw their wife once a year. They throw their wives over their shoulder and they race. So, but, um, I swear to God, it's true. It's true. Um, but my. My husband is a long was a longtime BBDO guy, and uh, and so he when he retired, he became the counsel for Estonia for the Midwest. And for a while, he had an office here with the flag. But literally, when we ran out of space, I called Omnicom, and now he has a gorgeous office overlooking Lake Michigan at DDB, and he makes friends with them. So it's okay. That's funny. Yeah. Well, Eric makes friends with everyone. Yeah. Um, great. Well, uh, I would love to talk a little bit more about energy because I think it's so interesting how you've kind of re-engineered that agency and the folks in the, in the room who remember when it was just BBDO Chicago, it had a different vibe. And I wonder if you could just talk about what you think makes energy BBDO special. Well, uh, so that word, you know, just like any brand, the, the word means more than just the word. So for us, it is, it's really defines our culture. It, we have this, we have a mantra here called energize people, energize brands, which, which really is uh, an expression of our belief system that it starts with energizing people. Um, it's our standard for hiring. And we're, we don't think about it as like energetic people, but there's high positive energy people. And we have a whole set of behaviors that are part of what we know works for our organization. Uh, the notion of energy also guides our how we engage with our clients and our partners. It's um, and it's also as we talked before, it's also the outcome, right? Ener energized brands that we you know are energized consumers through our brand. So it's it really is more than a word. It's more than our brand strategy model. That is the name of our brand strategy model, which is brand energy. It, it just permeates everything we do as an organization. And it's, you know, it's our one word that we, what we follow. So for us here, it's the work, the work, the work, and 
energy. That's great. So I imagine, you know, obviously we have the, the, the mutual uh, 10 people values, which, which we share. And I'm curious um, what you look for when hiring, because you mentioned when you're, when you're looking for new, new team members, they don't necessarily have to be energetic people. So how, do, how, do, how does that manifest itself in your, in your interviewing and screening process? Okay, so before the, before the BBDO values, we, we came up with this set of energizing behaviors. And the way we got to those is we picked like the people in that room there. You know, we picked the people that we said, if we were to pick 10, 12 people who embodied what we think is the very best people that we have, what would those characteristics be? And it's very interesting because they complement. So we now use the BBDO values because we those have proven very powerful for us, but we still use these. So the, there's four big buckets and a couple of things under. I'll just give you the four big buckets. Um, the first one is champion of what's possible thinking. So people who are always sort of leading the discussion to, to the vision of what's bigger and, and the greatest possibility for the brand and the business. Um, the, the second one is a driver of excellence. You know, people who are just really good and making everything we do, we do better. A very important one is building trust and respect-filled relationships because, you know, you could have the best people in the world, but if they're disrespectful of other people or they don't engender trust, you cannot, you can't build strong internal relationships or client relationships or partner relationships. And the, the uh, this one you'll find interesting, the, uh, is, uh, the fourth one is a positive force. So... You know, again, it's not about being energetic, but somebody who you describe as just bringing that momentum into the room and into the business and into the agency in a very positive way. And I will tell you, when we have people who are not those things, they come in and, and, and they fly out. You know, that's a sign of a strong culture, like a bad virus. They're just gone. They can't stand it here. And, and we feel neutral. You know, it's like, it's okay. Go. But those, those four things and our BBDO values really make our best citizens here. That's great. Um, and I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who do a lot of interviews like we do. Do you have a favorite interview question do you have something that is always your go-to that sort of tells you something about people that you want to know? I do. I actually have two, but the first one is my favorite because it makes me laugh every time. And it's, it's super. It's who are you most like, your mother or your father? And I mean, first of all, you, it gets very personal very quick. It gets very authentic very quick, but sometimes you find out things you wish you did not know. <laughs> right. like, you should pick the parent you like the best when you answer that question. Well, I'm really like my dad. He's a real pain. In the it's like, wait, no, no. <laughs> that, is, that is my favorite um, go-to. But my other one, my other one is really helpful. If I'm talking, if I'm interviewing an account person, I'll always say, if I were talking to a creative peer of yours, how would they describe you in one word? And I say it fast like that, and they usually blurt something out. And if they stop to think I'm like, one word, now. 
And then when I when I talk to creatives, I always ask that about um, you know what would either a client or an account leader say, and it, I'm telling you, it is a it's a powerful window into how how they relate to other people in the uh, on the team. So those are mine. I want to know yours. That's great. Yours. I love those. What is yours? My my favorite um, of the moment, and it does change a bit, but my favorite of the moment is what's the worst job you've ever had? Um, and it, uh, it, it goes back a little bit to sort of n knowing how people feel about what they do. And I think to your earlier point, when people love this business, they love creativity, they love the the uh, you know the process of making things. Um, it's quick to go back. For me, my worst job was um, as a fry cook at McDonald's, which is the greasiest, grimiest, most <laughs> awful place you could possibly be. But once you've done that, every day you walk into work here on the eighth floor, you're pretty happy. Um, so, um, Denise, I'm curious. One of the things I think we all uh, we all talk about a lot here is learning from challenges, learning from mistakes, you know, the, the test and learn attitude of Silicon Valley has now permeated all of business. And I'm wondering if you could share with us a story of like a, a client crisis or some big uh, cultural crisis in the agency, something that was a crisis situation where now when you look back on it, you feel like you really learned something from it. Oh gosh, you just reminded me, you just made my stomach do flip flops. Um, <laughs> golly. I could tell you, I'll tell you the macro view, the client, the client situation, but it's a recurring nightmare, which is the invasion of the body snatchers, you know, the client getting acquired and, you know, you have all this emotional engagement with the client company, the culture of the company, the people, and then one day they are not the same. The soul is gone. <laughs> There's these other people the value system starts to change and you're still there. And you either feel like a, um, a sitting duck or it's just uncomfortable and not rewarding anymore. And so we, we had, actually, we had two nightmares in a row. We had that situation. I mean, honestly, we've dealt with that quite a few times with all the mergers and acquisitions that have gone on in this, um, in this world. But most recently, I mean, the big, wallop we took was with Bud Light. We had a client go there and, and take over as CMO. So he brought in a wonderful culture that we were very used to. He loved us. We went, we went and we started to do great work for them. I mean, award-winning work that was just really uh, wildly successful and, and appreciated. And then the Brazilians came in and as overnight, it was just a different, a different relationship altogether. And the interesting thing, I think, is when that has happened to us, when it's been a smaller scale, you know, you could sort of get, talk yourself into, hey, we're better without them. But when the scale is enormous, um, it is a lot scarier because, you know, the impact it's going to have on the organization when it goes away. So I will say my big learning is it doesn't matter about the scale Two years ago, I thought it did. I thought, this may be the one time where I think it may be better to live with these god-awful creeps. Um, but it wasn't. Honestly, it became an, a humongous organizational infection. It was making our people sick. And we 
we said, no, you know what? This is really going to be better when they're gone. And so, you know, we braced ourselves, held our nose and parted company. And it, it took us literally less than a year to, to get better because we were already better. We weren't financially better. We had a, we had a huge financial hit, but we were emotionally better. We were creatively better. We were psychologically better. We were all happier because we were back to, to being able to assert our culture and not have it be like sucked, you know, like our blood away from us. So I think my big learning there was doesn't matter how big it is. If they are a bad and negative culture, you are better off without them. So um, that's that's my that's my client story. But it was very very scary because it was a lot of revenue and a lot of people working on that business that we had to work through. Right, right. That's great. And just just for clarification for anyone who wasn't following the story when it happened, when you said the Brazilians came in, you mean the acquisition of. <laughs> yes, I love Brazilians. Some of my best friends are Brazilians. We have a whole bunch of them working here. No, I really do mean that. But I meant the company. I meant the company. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that was not a good leader. I mean, they're not, it's not a, never mind. Let's stop there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, building, building on, the, on the, the conversation of kind of, you know, a good client gone bad, I think you have this fascinating case study in the opposite with your SCJ client, which is a, a client that historically has done a lot, a great deal of really mediocre to bad advertising. <laughs> and now you guys have turned them into a, a client that has like, I mean, you know, they take 25 people to can and they're really focused on great work. Tell us a little bit about how that transformation has happened and how have you partnered with them to raise the bar on their work? Yeah, thank you. That's a that's a great question. And that is, I think, an amazing case study. But yes, they they hired BBDO and Ogilvy. So you would think, right, people who would hire BBDO and Ogilvy would have this high bar. But they the people who hired us we're not a reflection of the organization, which is Jim said, hey, I'll give you one example on Ziploc alone, one brand alone, 30 years, for 30 years, they did one 30 second spot and it was about a better zipper. <laughs> every year, every year, about a new improved zipper. That was it. So that was the kind of marketer they were. So the I will say we went for two years with the old organization and we were able we went for little wins. We, we went to show them on the smallest scale how we could start to move the needle by doing more modern work. And um, and then we hold, held those examples up to the organization to inspire other people. But we were only going to get so far in that in that approach until someone came in, which was a client from PepsiCo, came in and was given the the mandate to change the whole place. So the good news is we were primed for him by the time he got there. We were able to say, come on board. We know exactly what you need to do. And in fact, one of the things we did, I, I brought a group of our team from all over the world because this is a global business. We all got together and we realized 
they were trying to get us to do modern marketing, but they were an old fashioned organization. So we created as a, as a global team, this giant from two, and we said, here it is what you guys are actually trying to do. You're trying to go from being product marketers to brand marketers. You're trying to go from traditional media to, you know, modern interactive media, et cetera. And we just, um, from functional to emotional, we just created this very simple chart and Salman, our client, took it and brought it into his organization and said, this is the shift, boys and girls. This is what we need to do. And together we locked arms and started to do, you know, we held all the new work up to the to versus the from. And it propelled us a lot faster. The other thing I'll mention there, and this is probably true of you for you guys too, as you have clients who sort of need to go get much more, well, maybe you don't. You may have a, a mix of clients that are more progressive. But I mentioned to you about being agents of change. We literally called ourselves on that business agents of change and inspiration. And we made it our job to keep holding up examples from other marketers that they admired to show them what was possible for their brands and then how that was working in other categories. And we just constantly infused them with, with what the modern world was doing. And that was part of, um, you know, it's funny. We have our scopes of work, but helping a client change their entire organization, their entire model of marketing doesn't end up in the scope, but it's a huge amount of time on the part of the agency. So recognizing it was sort of a thing that we needed to commit ourselves to, you know, SD Johnson change agency was like it changed our whole perspective and made us put energy into change management for them. That's fabulous, Tanise. I, lo I love uh, what you said about helping a client change their culture doesn't end up in the scope. That's so true. That's, that's something that you just have to be um, proactive and, and driving that inspiration through their organization. It's going to ultimately save you time and make you happier, but it's something that isn't on a, a task list. Yeah, and it will definitely make the work better. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, okay, uh, uh, I'm curious, I think um, something that, uh, that I think a lot of, uh, especially our, our younger team members, love to hear from people who've had a successful career is what are the things that they can do, is there anything they can do to sort of raise their game immediately? As you look, look across you know, the, the teams you've led where um, you know, if there was a switch they could flip or something they could try a little bit differently, any sort of tips or tricks that you have um, to be able to raise your game. It doesn't have to be, you know, just uh, just younger people, but I think that when I know when I was in my 20s especially, I was just always looking for, like, that extra little thing that I could add. Well, Jim, it's funny. You brought up uh, Benjamin Zander and, and the book that I, I mentioned that uh, that Benjamin and his wife Rosalind wrote was called The Art of Possibility. And one of the things that they said in that book uh, that I loved was be a contribution. And it seems like such a simple idea, but when you're 
you're up and coming at what everyone in this place, what every client needs. We all need help. We just need help. And I, I see some of our stars, the people who really just shine fastest, they're just tuning in and they are, they're listening, they're observing, and they're seeing where they can help and add value. And, and they then make a difference. It's almost like where somebody doesn't even see there's a hole. They're like, hey, would this help? And everyone's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Or, you know, pulling some competitive or just bringing a piece of information in or a spark. So I would just say, you know, be a contribution. And I would just add to the end of that, be a contribution to the work. So everybody's got visibility into that. And anything you can do to help anybody on the team advance that, I, I think is welcome. You know, we're all such team-oriented um, organizations now. It's just like, bring it on. What do you got? You know, anybody can make a difference to it. I, I don't know. It um, seems so simple. But I see other people sit back because they're not asked something, you know. It's like, no, you know, right. just, just help and and contribute i love that thank you that's 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 brilliant i have to dig my ben zander book back up and reread it from the years ago that that i read it, it was such such a incredible um incredible bit of inspiration um okay so next um next question is kind of at the other end of the spectrum of as a leader now of, of this great organization energy, what are the things that over your over the course of your career that you've seen great leaders do that you've kind of stolen with pride and said, that's that's a uh, you know, a handy trick that I'm gonna use? Okay. So I yes, steal what do we say? Steal with pride or yes. Um, so I I have had uh, I've had the distinct honor of working for like directly for some of our BBDO heroes. So you asked me when I started on the BBDO worldwide board, I cannot tell you the date, but I can tell you it was the day that Phil and Alan put the work, the work, the work on the table. It was in Santa Fe. And, and one of the things that Phil Dusenberry wrote was in the absence of great work, nothing else matters. And we, you know, there was a lot of other uh, pros around that, but that one line has really, um, I mean, I've actually seen it be true. Like we had a moment in time, we, well, at the beginning of SC Johnson, we had all this growth, but we didn't have fabulous work and we all felt like crap. And I'm like, my God, this is a perfect example. You know, in the absence of great work, it doesn't matter that, you know, we've just grown all this, you're getting slapped on the back. It's like an icky feeling. So that I have stolen and, and we use a lot around here. Alan Rosenshine, um, he, Alan used the language of brand defining idea. And I mentioned that we have a strategy model here called brand energy. Well, at the heart of it is this thing, we still call it a brand defining idea because if we don't have that for our brands, then we're, I mean, it's a lot, that's where the emotional resonance is. That's where the clarity of focus is. When we have that, it makes everything we do better and brands propel in the marketplace. So I stole that from Alan. Nobody knows that, by the way. <laughs> people, here think it's, people here think it's our vernacular, but I'm like, yeah, Alan came up with that. God knows how long ago. I love it. 
I bet you stole, you and I probably stole the same thing from Andrew, which is how many years, uh, 1990, when was, when was that LA meeting? In that LA meeting, Andrew talked about, it's about attention, attention stupid, right? And it, it is, right? Now people are going, you know, you know, it's really about attention. It's like, no kidding, <laughs> right? No kidding. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so th- those are just sort of pearls. They're not characteristics, but they're ideas that I stole. That's even worse, right? <laughs> no, I think that's great. And I, I think one of the things, you know, that, uh, that I think successful people do is when something is great, to adapt it and it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be you know you're not stealing someone you're not plagiarizing you're especially within an organization you're adopting the behaviors and the ideas of what makes the work better what makes your your uh, what makes you better at what you do so I always think of it as you know I uh, spent a lot of time playing pickup basketball over the years and I always like playing pickup basketball because you can always learn a new move from somebody you've never seen play before and um, and it's similar in, in I think in in all business but certainly in advertising. Um, okay, last question, Tanise. Uh, what advice would you give your 30-year-old self? I'd say, don't get mired in the small shit. <laughs> I think back then, I remember, I remember coming home from work saying, oh my gosh, I, I just spent... 30 minutes in a conference room with a billionaire arguing whether or not the word should be pronounced the or the, you know, that's small, kind of like, oh my gosh, you know? And, um, and it just, I tried to make myself aware of that. Go to 30,000 feet, go to 30,000 feet and keep your eye on the prize. But I think it was harder for me to do back then. And then I'd say, I, I think I'd say take, take, take big swings. You have nothing to lose at, at 30 years old. And I think today more than ever, it's the big, big swings that like make an impact. So go for it and go for it early. I love that. I love that. In fact, uh, as you said, working for the greats at BBDO is such a big influence. And I, um, worked, you know, directly for Lou bars for about 10 years, 10 years. And he always said, you've got to put a couple over the fence in the parking lot. Like nobody remembers the singles and doubles. You got to put, put a couple in the parking lot. Um, so do people here have questions? Anybody want to raise a hand? Any additional questions? Aaron would like to ask a question. Uh, I want to ask a mom and dad question if we have time later. Okay. But um, in response to your other question, I'm, I'm curious to hear about some of the answers, some of the one word answers you've got from people and what that has told you about them. Right. Um, so when you ask, when you ask creative people, what would, what would an account person say? Sometimes they'll say partner. Sometimes they'll say problem solver, simplifier. You know, they're never going to say creative genius or something like that. Um, but they'll, you know, they'll say that thing that, that says that they're in it together. And, um, sometimes they'll say, honest to God, angry, (laughs) like angry. (laughs) Why would they say (laughs) angry? No lie. I had a creative guy, a very senior creative guy tell me that he had anger issues. 
because of that question. And I, I'm like, wow. Yeah. So that's the kind of, it's just odd. It, it's because it's, re, you know, requiring you to be sort of honest and fast. I think the speed of it helps. Um, so that's like the worst, the most extreme, but it really did affect the outcome because that person was here to get in my office to get a rubber stamp. And I was like, um, just a second. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, okay. And then, oh, the, the other way, when you ask um, account people about creative, the, I mean, usually what happens, the best account people will show, you know, admiration. You know, they sort of light, light up at that. Or how, how would you be described? It's the same thing. It's sort of like partner and um, uh, advocate, you know, like a creative would say about an account person, um, defender, like defender of the work kind of thing. Um, and the thing that I've got, I don't remember like off the top of my head, but the thing that I've picked up as a warning sign is an indication that the, that the person's just a little too aligned with the client, you know, they, they like play it back objectively, you know? So right. those are the, the watch outs there. It's like, okay, are you a team inside the agency who are going for the same prize or are you working against each other with the client? And that's what it usually reveals. That's great. Did you want to have a follow up or if we, if we have time. Uh, I think, well, we're pretty close. Let me see if anybody else has, does anybody else have another question? Otherwise we'll let Aaron ask his follow up question. <laughs> Aaron Goff. Um, I forget how you worded it. It was, it was, but you know what your own question is. So, <laughs> the mom and dad. Oh, the mom and dad one. The yeah. mom and dad one. Um, and what was your question? What? Well, tell me your question about it again. His question is back to you. How, are you more like your mom or your dad? Oh, did I answer? The, did I answer? question wrong? No, no, no. I'm sorry. We're interviewing you. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally misunderstood you. Okay, so I will answer the mom. I totally more like my mom. And um and the so when my when my mom passed away, it's very funny. There's going to be nothing about advertising. I said um my if my if I distilled my mother down to a mantra, it would be Faith, family, and veal cutlets, and uh, um, and and I very much have that um, in inbred in me. But uh, that family feel honestly does is is a word that comes back to me a lot here. I almost can't help myself. You know, if you're my friend, you're my family, and. Here we are, um, you know, like you guys are. You guys have a beautiful culture because of that wonderful man there. And um, so I do think that that people would hear that about my mom and go, yeah, that's it. You know, it is, it is, uh, I am a reflection of her, I think. But anyway, and also she was a taskmaster. Oh my gosh. You know, when I was, my children were little and my plates were spinning and I'd be like calling my mom for a little bit of, there, there, you wonderful girl. She'd be like, well, did you do this? Or did you get that done? And what about that? You told me you were, I'd be like, stop, 
So I think I have a little of that too. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, well, thank you guys. This is lovely talking to all of you. I appreciate it. So, so nice to um, really chat. I'd like to interview you guys next, okay? Yes. Well, um, Tanise, we can't thank you enough. It's honestly, you're, you are, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but you're a great interview. And um, I love the fact that you're so honest about everything and also that you can't swear without giggling immediately after. <laughs> um, so um, everyone, so let's say thanks. Okay, I'll see you soon. Thanks so much.